the Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Celine, I'm curious, mm-hmm. is there a difference for you between training in the wet and doing an event in the wet, or is it all equally distasteful? Uh, doing an event in the wet is less distasteful to me than training in the wet because there's okay. more excitement. Um, generally, I don't know where I am. Uh, I'm on, <laughs> you know, unless it's a familiar, but even then it's like roads that I don't do all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's something that I've signed up for. There are other people to suffer with uh, when you're when you're just with yourself and it's wet. It's not there's. It's just an exercise in building mental toughness, and I'm not sure I need to do that any anymore at, at this juncture. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because it was maybe wet this weekend. You had a you had a thing this weekend. I I back when we were allowed to laugh at Bill, Bill Cosby. You know he had a routine about Noah. Jupa, Jupa, Noah. <clears throat> yep. Uh, and then there's that line at the end. You know, hey, how long can you tread water? Ha ha. Uh, <laughs> It was one of the top 10 wettest days on the bike that I've had. It was very wet. Uh, the funniest part of all is as wet as the day was, this was the Tour de Placer Roubaix up in Auburn, which is uh, northeast outside of Sacramento, getting into, into the foothills of the Sierra. And uh, yeah, wicked wet. And then I got back to my car after it was over. And like three minutes later, what I thought had been a pretty fair amount of rain for the next 20 minutes, it was a monsoon like deluge. Wow. It was, I was like, mm, okay, I guess I have something to be grateful for. So was it, <laughs> was it, um, two questions, was it cold and did you also start in the rain? Yes and yes. Yeah. That makes it way harder. Both of those things. Like, Right, getting caught, you're just like, well, it is what it is. But when you're standing there waiting to start and it's raining and you're cold already, that's a, those, <laughs> those, those are hard. Those are hard. How long was it? Uh, it was 52, 54 miles, something like, and 6,000-ish feet of climbing, 50% so you could dirt. So you could get cold then going on the down. You, oh, you totally could have. There's yeah. There are two long descents in the event. And it would been would have been easy to go hypothermic on either one. I mean, in the moments before we started, there were four easy up tents outside of Victory Velo in Auburn, and nearly all of the starters were huddled together under those easy up tents. Uh, the there is there has to be something wrong with me because I was actually kind of excited. You don't see a lot of rain in your daily. 
I mean, I know you have the seasons, but all of a sudden, I, I don't know. Or is it I because think, you had those magical jerseys? <laughs> I did have all of the right clothing. That That's helps a lot. That's for sure. Yeah. That helps a lot. Sportful, Fiandre, no rain, thermal bibs, seven meshes, uh, rain jersey, which is kind of their answer to the GABA. Uh, I had some, you know, water-resistant leg warmers from Giordana. Just, yeah, waterproof socks. I had all the right gear. I was ready for the day. Part of it is that I've had, strangely, a lot of success in riding in cold and wet conditions. Mm -hmm. Most of the wins I ever had were on days where it was colder than 50 degrees and had been wet at some point during the day. Hmm. If not, all day. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I can relate to that. Yeah, that's uh, cool. And I I ended up having a a good day out there. Uh, I... Yeah, I I rode out on my skin. I wasn't actually faster than when I did it two years ago, but considering the conditions that, you know, it was like 15 degrees colder and it was wet instead of dry, um, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I would, I, would, I would say that you were faster. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. A tenth of a mile per hour slower on a day that was colder and rained. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh Alrighty. Well, uh, what's up for you? What is up for me? Um, well, I wanted to talk about we had it. We had we've been taking these uh, listener requests, and mm-hmm. somebody wrote in, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. Sorry about that. But he said, "I'd love to hear a deepish dive into on bike nutrition for long events. You know, Belgian waffle rides, dirty cans of two hundred, Michigan coast to coast, another two hundred mile thing." Um, you know, he's not saying not necessarily brands that I like, though he's all ears. Uh, he's just asking, instead, have you developed a strategy to help figure out what works and what doesn't? It's one thing to figure out what doesn't turn your guts into knots and make them explode, but it's another to go from that to optimal, which kind of made me laugh. Um, because, <laughs> because funny, the listener says that, because quite honestly, um, sometimes the same thing that that is optimal one day will turn your gut to knots on another ride, right? Like it's there. If there I've never was had that happen, <laughs> seriously, like very seriously, um, you know, because for many people, myself included, all of that depends on the temperature, the intensity, the duration, whether mercury is in retrograde, maybe. Uh, <laughs> You know, because it's truly like I will think because this has been this is my nemesis as long as I've been racing. Like you think you nail it down. I practice it. And, you know, you get out there and sometimes it works. And sometimes you're like, well, what's plan B? I better have a plan B because this is not going so well. You know, you know, and you've got gut rot and and nutrition is is kind of everything. But it's it's very complicated because, and I think people just don't appreciate, and I want to just say a little bit about why it is so difficult. Um, you need a lot of energy for these things, especially like if you're just talking an hour or two, you're probably pretty okay with whatever you do. Um, even two to three, most people can nail it. But once mm-hmm. you drift past four, certainly past five, oh my God, into eight. Like, you know. 
oh. any any further than that because it takes a lot of energy and your body is so busy shuttling blood from your gut into your working muscles into your legs you know the digestion is a very difficult thing for it to accomplish and you also especially need when to, you're robbing your body of blood that it needs to use for that, the digestion that's exactly what i'm saying yeah i mean it's just not there to do the work you know, so it's yeah. compromised already. It, no matter what, it's already <laughs> compromised. Um, and you also need to be hydrating on top of that. So now you're shoving liquids in there and boluses of food. And it's got a lot of work to do. And it's it's not it's not running on all cylinders. So right there, you've got to respect that. You've got to respect that this is not a simple a simple thing. And you've got biome changes. So what might have worked for you 10 years ago, maybe it's not working the same way. Your hormones change. All that stuff affects your gut. It's super, super important just to respect that fact that don't get yeah. don't get really frustrated or angry or think any if, – if there was one optimal answer, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd all know. It's kind of <laughs> like weight loss, right? Like everybody would be eating the same thing and drinking the same thing and having magnificent success. And it's, it's, it just – it's not that simple. It's not. It ain't Netflix. No, no. So, <laughs> one what what we can say, and I and there will be there would be people that would even debate this because I'm going to say carbohydrates, right? And there there's a there are camps, you know, there are camps. that are like, we don't mm. need carbs. Who needs carbs? We don't need it. anyway. We're, I'm not going into that camp right now. <laughs> I am just going to say your muscles need carbohydrates to move. So let's just start there. And for your carbs to get into your muscles, they have to get transported out of your gut like we just said and that requires gut transporters they which are like literally like little things that the carbs cling on to and they get pushed through because your gut is as it should be it's it's kind of a walled off thing so it Mm -hmm. keeps stuff that shouldn't be floating into your bloodstream from getting out into your bloodstream right like that makes a lot of yes that makes a lot of sense um so ultimately the only two carbs that will get through are simple sugars, glucose and fructose. So your body breaks down everything else you eat, your complex carbs and, you know, sucrose starches like maltodextrin into those two simple sugars. And then they need a little lift from a molecular transporter. Um, it's kind of like a cellular car service, if you will, to get into your intestine, into circulation. Um, each simple sugar, the, the glucose and fructose has its own transporter. And there's only so many of those to go around in your body, right? So it's like a limited amount that they can take out each hour. That's why you can't just shovel down a giant thing and expect that it's going to give you that much energy. It just, it doesn't work that way. So if you want to picture it like glucose, maybe takes yellow taxi cabs. And there's only Uh enough taxi cabs to take, say, 60 grams of glucose for a ride an hour. And then fructose takes lift, and there's only like enough lift drivers for 30 grams of fructose to get out. Um, and when those sugars are stuck without lifts, they get very unhappy in your gut. And that's when gut rot happens. Simplest way. Oh. Yeah, I've never get, heard it explained that way before. Okay. I made it up. Well, but no, that that's really helpful. I mean, if you start to think about it. Uh, uh, They're angry passengers the in your gut. They're, uh-huh. Yes. Because they can't get yeah. it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm picturing you know the way that uh, neurotransmitters each have their own oh, receptor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Same okay. way to think about it. Same way to think. So about yeah, it. you need both sucrose and fructose uh, as your fueling so that you can get as much through you as quickly as possible. Glucose and fructose. 
No. Sorry. <clears throat> That's okay. Um, yeah, but and and but the, but the complex carbs get broken down. Like the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the end result is that you can't like you need a mixed um, mixed carbohydrate sources. That's why if you just had a bunch of fruit you might have a lot of problems, right? Like that, that that's the reason. Like you, you don't, you just don't have enough lift drivers to get that fructose out of your system. Like it's, it's, and when it just sits there and your gut isn't doing what it's supposed to do, it, it becomes a disaster. Um, Cause then it starts right. pulling the water. The lifeguard says everybody out of the pool. Yeah. And you're running into the bushes to do something or you're throwing up off your, like, it's just not, not pretty. Um, so generally speaking, just let's talk a little bit too about like, for rides, they're just like an hour to two and a half hours long. You're looking for 30 to 60 grams of like mixed carbohydrates, like 120 to 240 calories. It's a small bar, right? Um, for anything longer, you know, go with a go with a mixed carbs of 80 to 90. That's 320 to 360 calories an hour. But please, please, please train your gut. If you're going to do that, if you're doing dirty Kanza and you know you need to eat that much, please, please, please practice eating that much on your long rides. Because a lot of people don't. They, they, they drag it out and they stop at a store and then they sit and eat and digest. You know, they'll have lunch and <laughs> yes. then they'll do. But then they get to Dirty Cans and they don't do that. And then they wonder why they're, they're having such terrible troubles. You really need to be very specific because you, um, you can really train and, and maximize your enzymes. You can, you know, I mean, at the, at the very high end, you can probably get more drivers in there to a certain extent. But mm-hmm. um, but you have to practice it or it won't happen. Like that's that's super important. And it's also important um, to, to go as natural and as easy to digest as possible. Uh, when I was working with Stacey Sims and some other sports nutritionists who do this, you know, for their living, um, they recommend that to activate all the mechanisms without any irritation or any problems. Um, real food is really the best way to go if you can, because it has the right blend. It's <laughs> Mother Nature, we've talked about this many times, is smart and, and puts... It's remarkable. Yeah, and puts a lot of the right combinations of stuff in. So it's easier if you eat like figs and just real food to get to not overload any of your transport systems. If you do go with packaged foods... Um, and there are a lot of them out there now, and I get it. It's I do too. Like it's easier to grab a bunch of bars and put them in your bags and to make a bunch of peanut butter and honey sandwiches, right? I understand that. Um, just again, just look for natural ingredients. Look for things that are simple. Test it out. Um, there's a lot of them now, and it's actually it's funny. I actually interviewed this woman. That I'm hoping that we can have on a tandem episode because she's she's really awesome. This woman, Jess Kara, and she's a uh, JoJ bars. And I don't know if you have you ever heard of JoJ bars. You've talked about them. Yeah, okay. That's that's how you've heard them. She's also um, sort of around, she's a Southern California uh, racer. She's a professional cyclist uh, and a chef. And she, when she first started, she suffered through her own share of gut problems. So, And all that was available at the time were Cliff Bars and Power Bars. And I'm not going to diss on any of those bars, but Cliff Bars are pretty dense. You know, I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're 320, they're, they're a lot of calories and they're a lot of carbs. And that you wolfed one of those down and it might sit. You know, like it, it, it might be hard. And power bars, mm-hmm. I use them. They're, they're well formulated, but they can become hard bricks. They can become taffy. You know, I mean, the, the, they have their own set of situations. Anyway, so she set out to make um, something like a healthy cookie. And she's formulated it with just the right carbs and right amount of stuff. So you have like this even energy without gut rot. And um, we can let her, I'll let you because she describes it really well so we can have it in her words and I'll take a break and let her talk about it for two seconds here 
by taking a little bit of that out and adding the fat in, which is our primary fuel source at about 70% or less of your maximal effort, you're having something that one, fat is digested a lot slower. So it's sustaining that energy. And it's kind of like, if you're thinking about this, like line of carbohydrates, like the up and down, just think like the fat filling in the hole and the just enough protein to keep you sustained, but not where it's like, because protein is the only macronutrient that's actually digested and absorbed in your stomach. Everything else passes through your stomach and it's digested and absorbed in your colon. So, or your small intestine. So when protein, like something has to go to your stomach to get that protein moving. So I didn't want like a protein bar. And I, I really think that it was that simple. Like it didn't need to be anything more overly complicated. It was just kind of tweaking what we were already doing and then using really clean ingredients like nuts. We take our peanuts, we grind them, we mix them with oats and coconut oil. So it's all things that like your body can access. It doesn't have to like spend a lot of time breaking it down because it's not processed. There's no preservatives. And so that requires less energy because we don't need to spend energy doing that when we're exercising we want our energy for our momentum and and then just trial and error you know like I had similar problems as you with a lot of gut rot and especially in triathlon like I can think of a lot of races where I would like be in the bushes and the run and I was just like this is so frustrating like I don't understand like how I can get to this point and then it's all just like blah and so I mean, I had a lot of access to athletes who were trying the product and yeah, I, I don't think there's an overly complicated answer to it. I just think that we were one of the first people to try doing this and again, to try baking a product where um, it wasn't just extruded out of a dough and then packaged. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, Jess, I mean, she was super fascinating to listen to. So I look forward to like getting that out there. But uh, one final piece before we, we leave this nutrition, uh, this little nutrition segment behind is remembering the fluid part. Like if you're going to be you need to be hydrating. But, but if you're putting a lot of dense carbohydrate stuff in your bottle, that counts, too. Like, don't forget that. Like, if you've got Gatorade in there or you got whatever you put in there, that's a lot of carbs. And those need – it's going to be clogging up the system as well. That's why we've talked a lot about it. But, like, the lower-carb drinks that have maybe 20 grams are just helping fluid absorption. That just helps hydration. You know, like, but anything – if you're grabbing a bottle that has any more sugar or carbs in that, then I would say just put a – put a bottle of water on your bike, you know, just to make sure that you can keep everything as, as diluted and going through. Cause we could talk about this all day, but that is sort of the, the one one of on the bike nutrition for really long things. And I don't know if you have any thoughts or, or, you know, questions. I, I get this asked all the time and, and it reasonably so because it goes south so much for some people. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one thing I want to say is you know, that might help people think about this. Years and years ago, a friend of mine who was uh, a carpenter explained to me that if you're building a two-story structure, everything in the first story has to be perfect. It has to be absolutely mm -hmm. square. It has to be absolutely level. It has to be absolutely true because any mistake you make in the first story gets magnified in the second story. Right. So That's fueling, I figured out, 
is much the same way. You can make all the mistakes you want in your first hour if the event is either one or two hours. You can still make mistakes in your second hour if you're not going past two and a half hours. But if you're writing eight hours, your first hour has to be perfect. Your second hour has to be perfect. Your third hour has to be perfect because any mistake you make is going to get carried through to that next hour. And if you make any mistakes in the second hour, that's going to get carried through. Yeah. 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 And sooner or later, you can't make up for all those mistakes without just pulling over. (laughs) The house is coming down. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. The question I want to put to you Uh is that busy people who are out there, and I'm just going to say people who are even busier than me, I'm just going to concede the point. They're out there buying wrapper foods. You know, they're buying gels. They're buying bars. Mm -hmm. I know that, yes, Cliff Bars are really dense and Mm -hmm. you need to nibble those rather than bite half of one off. Yes, but in terms of gels, are you using stuff like that? What what are you using on the bike? That's a great, great question. Um, you know, there, there's definitely like you've got the Stacy Sims of the world who are very anti-bike, but uh, anti-bike, anti-gel <laughs> on the bike. Um, but I did the tour of California with my friends at Goo, and you better believe that we had Goo <laughs> as a as a nutritional source. That being said, um, you know, so I. I I do definitely have a gel or two on me for long things or short things. Like sometimes when you just need a a shot of something and it might even be mental, that is a perfect thing to shoot down. Chase it with some water. That's the reason that they can cause problems is you do need to chase it with water. It says so in the package, but it can be people forget it can be hard. And if you start shoving a bunch of them in your system without the right fluid ratio, you're going to have trouble. Um, it's interesting. I, I talked to Yuri uh, Hoswald about about this, um, and mm-hmm. he's super. I mean, he's you know he's he is Mr. Goo in many ways. He's salty yeti and all these things. But he, um, you know, he's super honest about that too. He, I talked to him about that, and I said, okay, like you 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 must not do everything with Goo, right? And I rode with him. I know he doesn't, but he has a really good strategy that I think I'm going to steal because I've been trying to sort of figure this out myself, like. Um, when do you pull out the real food? When do you go with the chomps and the the gels and that kind of stuff? Like that's been a, like I've been trying to get a good matrix for that. You know, often I just go by mood, but mm-hmm. he um, he starts with gels and chomps and that kind of stuff with because you're really fresh in the beginning. You know, so like you you can tolerate a lot of that stuff and everything. I mean, you know, it's going so fast. Um, even dirty cans, all these ridiculous things, like, oh, they go so fast for the first, you know, quarter sometimes, like, of the event. They go very fast until the selection is made, so it's way easier to just shove a few gels in your, uh, short, you know, in, like, the hem of your, you know what I'm trying to say, your leg band, um, and just shoot them down and not be unwrapping food. But then, like, later, when everything is settled and everyone's back to 60 and 70% for the day, right, then you yep. can start eating some of that real food when you're sick of the engineered food and you have like and and have some water bottles and just I mean he calls it resetting the system and I thought that was a really good way to put it. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Right. So um cuz you know just washing all that sugar like all cuz you have just loaded yourself up with a lot of those like we're talking those the taxi cabs everybody's full like let mm-hmm. everybody drop off their passengers have some food with some fat and some whatever in it. 
you've got more a little more energy because you're not going so hard. And then maybe you can pull those gels back out towards that last part where you go hard again, if you have to go hard again. And that yep, seemed when like you a dig really for the last good, 10 miles or so. Yeah. yeah. That seemed like a really yep. great, great strategy. So I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. Um, I like that a to lot. To try to mimic it. Yeah. Cause I've, mm-hmm. I've toyed around with that kind of stuff for a long time. And um, sometimes it's a, a you know, I've, I've tried going both ways, but I've never actually thought it out that thoroughly all the way through. And I like I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, it it really fits with what I had sort of settled into for myself. So this past weekend, I brought eight goose with me in mm-hmm. my jersey pockets because I wasn't sure how much food would be out there. You know, I wasn't I didn't quite remember exactly where it would be spaced. Didn't want to have to depend on them. So I brought a bunch of goose. And I went through five goos in the first three and a half hours, three hours, 45 minutes, something like that. And then I got to the second rest stop of the day where they were busy making quesadillas, cheese and (laughs) bacon and cheese and barbecued chicken. Uh, And so I grabbed three, you know, quarter, you know, pie, pie shaped uh, pie slice shaped pieces, about one quarter of a quesadilla. I grabbed three of those. Uh, the cheese and bacon were really the way to go. Um, and, you know, stood there long enough to get two down. Um, just held the third one in my hands as I rolled out. Yep. And I knew that with the mileage left, that would give me all the calories I needed to get home. Uh, and all I'd need to do after that was keep drinking. And, Feeling wise, you know, I pegged it. I absolutely That's, pegged it. I it's a great feeling, feeling when good. that happens. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good feeling. And the funny thing is, I am most likely to get it right when conditions are the crappiest. I <laughs> can't explain it. If it's 75 and sunny, I will mess it up. Oh my gosh. It, it is a little, I mean, to be, it is, it is a little easier to nail it when um, it's cooler for sure. Um, your body is burning more energy. You've got a little more. You're not worried as much about uh, sweating to cool off, right? Mm-hmm. So that that helps too. Your you, your body's just doing a little less that way. So I think it is a little easier. I I have an easier time nailing it too when it's uh, crappy than when because I think you just become a little bit more of a furnace. I think you can just take care of some some stuff more. My theory. Oh, could be. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. Anyway, very yeah. cool. Well, thanks for that. Um, I mean, certainly educational for me. I, you know, as a guy who is really quite expert at bonking, um, <laughs> this is this is helpful to me. Well, sometimes, well. I mean, I'm sure you've had this happen too. Like, I, I think I will think that I have nailed it, and maybe it's just because I start smelling the barn a little too early and start leaving all the, you know, stop taking care of myself. All of a sudden, <laughs> I'll get within eight miles and I'll be on fumes, and it feels like it happens like. A light switch. It feels like, you know, like I'm charging and then all of a sudden like, oh, I'm very hungry and I'm very vapory. I better like do something now. And that's when I will. I've shoved like a whole thing of Scratch Labs chews like just in my face to eat them. <clears throat> sort of like Peter Sagan just shoving those guys. Like it looked just like hoovering <laughs> like this just to get Cookie all of monster. it. Right. Just in there. I'm dropping them. But yeah. So I I'm. I, what is what I'm at greater risk for is being on a really technically difficult course and right. going, this is 
this is crazy. I can't possibly take a hand off the bar here. Oh, this is still crazy. I can't possibly take a hand off the bar. I'm going too hard on this climb. I can't take a hand off the bar. Uh, so I, I tend yeah. to get a lot of that. Yeah. No, that can totally happen. And then you just, I mean, you really, when you're on something like that, you just have to be so disciplined about feeding as soon as your anything opens up, right? Like that's the... Yeah. 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 And actually, Yuri was really helpful to me on that. You know, we went out and rode a piece of the cross-country course at Sea Otter one year. And he was showing me, you know, right about here, you can tear open a goo. And right. you've got enough space up to here to get it in your system. And then on top of that, showing me that he didn't tear the top all the way off. Right. He would tear it halfway off so that then he wasn't fumbling around trying to throw away or not leave on the course some piece of foil. Yep. Yep. There's all kinds. Yeah. All kinds of tricks. Yeah. All kinds. Yeah. Yeah, and Super that's the cool. thing. I mean, at, you know, bottom line, what often separates the fastest from the rest of us is knowing all those little tricks. And I oh, hate yeah. that. Oh, it's true <laughs> because I mean, because because when you don't, you end up like pulling the thing out. Now you're trying to wrestle it with your teeth, and then you you rip it open, and the bar flies out into the fields, and like now your food is like laying on the ground, and you're like, do I stop? <laughs> To run in that like that 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 takes time and mental like energy. The, the nuts in a Christmas story. Oh yes. fuck! Yes, I mean it's just it's it's just like like the little things on a long day add up a lot. You could easily yeah. waste a half hour fumbling with your food over the course of two hundred miles easily. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll come back to this when I'm fresher. <laughs> Anyway, that's yeah. Okay, I'm moving right off. along. What do you have? Yeah. So I've got another bike buying question from a listener. Okay. Scott says he's roughly the same height and weight of Chris Froome. Oh, I bet he's a lot nicer, uh, <laughs> though without the same power output. Uh, well, to be fair, Froome is Froome is really very nice. Uh, but yeah, we you know obviously not the same hour power output. No, um, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be asking you questions probably. <laughs> right. He'd have a, a team director. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I, I bet there are a lot of a, a lot of Scots out there, you know. Um, he's purchased a couple of custom frames over the years, but he says that he's never really gotten the feeling that the ride slash fit slash slash handling were as magical as advertised. Hmm. So the question he posed was just what sort of rider will benefit from a custom frame and how someone can get the most out of a trip to the North American Handmade Bicycle Show. Hmm. Okay, so my response, the first thing I want to say, you know, I, I really want to get this out there to absolutely everyone. Anyone, anyone at all can benefit from a custom bike. You don't have to be a giraffe to benefit. <laughs> okay, sure, some people actually need a custom bike to get a workable fit, but at this point, those people really are rare. There's a big difference between those who will benefit um, and those who need a custom bike. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of range in between. The fact is, if you're working with a good fitter, you can get a pretty optimal fit on most of the production bikes available. Mm -hmm. The thing about getting a great custom bike is that the way fit and geometry come together in a special blend of balance and weight distribution is something that can be hard to find on a production bike. It's not impossible, but the challenge is understanding that you might find it on a Bianchi or a Felt, but on a, 
but not on a trek. Mm-hmm. Or it could be vice versa, where you find it on treks and giants, but can't possibly get it on a Bianchi or a Felt. It's really hard to say. Going custom eliminates the need to test ride 14 different bikes that don't fit. Mm-hmm. So buying custom, the emotional connection to the bikes aside, and that's something I can riff on for hours, that whole emotional piece of just falling in love with this stupid inert thing. Um, it's a chance to achieve that perfect blend of your riding style, you know, the optimal weight distribution and balance all in a single bike. <clears throat> now, the NABS question. Mm-hmm. NABS is right around the corner. And so this is as good a time as any to talk about how to get the most out of the trip. First, before you leave home, go to the NABS site and make a list of which builders you are most interested in. Second, give yourself a full day at minimum. Honestly, having two days there is better, but at minimum, give yourself a full day. Third, Start your visit to the show with the people you're interested in. Hit them up first. Some of them may be in a conversation when you get there, so you may want to keep moving and swing back when they are freer to talk with you. Fourth, once you've talked to the builders you find interesting, walk the entire show floor once. It is really easy. And I say this with considerable expertise. It is really easy to get interested in one booth after another and run out of time with a complete aisle unseen. Mm -hmm. Last, unless you have a serious reason to get home ASAP, try to leave yourself time to go to dinner after the show is over. If you're on the verge of pulling the trigger on a bike and make that clear to the builder, you might get a chance to buy him a beer. And that can open up a whole new conversation. Now, for those who really are thinking that they're about to buy a custom bike before you ever leave home, put $500 in a PayPal account. If in talking to the builders at NABS, you decide okay, this is the guy for me. I am buying something from Eric Noren. I've got to have a bike from this dude. Once you make that decision, walk up to him, ask him what his email address is for PayPal, and then open up the app on your phone and send him 500 bucks on the spot. I don't know that every builder out there uh, says that their deposit is $500, but I can't imagine that there's anybody on the planet who's going to say, oh, that's not a enough of a deposit mm-hmm. generally 500 bucks that separates the talkers from the people who are going to order a bike right send them 500 bucks and at that point they're going to pay attention to you they're really going to pay attention to you and the other thing is builders want to come out of nabs thinking that they had a successful trip okay for them this is a trade show this isn't just hanging out with other cool bike people mm-hmm. though there's that they need to sell bikes, to stay in business. And so there's nothing you could possibly do. You can pay them all the compliments you want. $500 makes a big difference. There's nothing you can do to make a builder feel that the trip was worth it more than to have a deposit in hand before going home. I would agree with that. Celine, Mm -hmm. you've ridden more bikes than maybe any other woman I know. And God, I don't want that to be a sexist card. But women very frequently have some slightly different needs for men in their bikes, Um, you know, from weight distribution to the flex pattern of the bike. 
it's sometimes not really great to put a woman on a guy's bike. So I'm curious, have you ever had a custom frame built for you? And if so, what sort of difference did it make? I have not. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I've never actually even, I've thought about it recently, only in the context of just that question. Like, I've never had a custom bike made. I'm I'm not very princess in the pea kind of person. I, I like I I um I, I tend to be very adaptable, which is good as someone who tests a lot of bikes. Um, mm-hmm. to sure to different bikes. I mean, there's some that I like more than others, but for sure, and you know, some that I find handle better for how I ride and my personal um and you know anatomical you know, long femurs and long, like all that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but I can see, I can definitely, definitely see after all this time of being on so many different bikes, how it would be, it it might be magical. And I, you know, I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of disappointed that our reader here didn't, our listener didn't find it as magical as he thought, but maybe he got closer than he thought he would to like, maybe the bikes he was on before were closer than he thought to write. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Um, if you're, if you've yeah. already had a really stellar experience, but you don't have a broad frame of reference and people are busy telling you, oh, go custom, it'll be amazing. And it's only, you know, a little bit better than what you had because what you already had was so good, then yeah, you're not going to be as wowed. Yeah. And for a long time, um, you know, and I don't know, honestly, if this is a female trait, though I kind of uh, suspect it is. There were there were early in my testing career, I was more inclined to blame myself for things that uh, if the bike didn't handle the way I, that I thought it should be or it didn't corner like it was like oh I'm just a crappy corner or ah oh, just me I didn't you know I didn't lean it enough like I was much more likely to to point my finger at myself. And then I would see all these guys going, oh, this bike, this just doesn't do the, you know, and it was, the guys always made it about the bike. And I was like, I should learn something from that. Like I should, you know, like I should uh, pay attention to that because there was always this tendency for me to just be like, oh, you know, I must not just know what I'm doing or something. Like I don't, it, now, it's I, a, I, yeah. It's an interesting statement about our culture, I think. Because, yeah, I think women are more likely to point the finger at themselves than at the bike. And, you know, my years of experience, you know, if if I was standing next to you and you got off a bike and you said that, I wouldn't look at you. I'd immediately look at the bike and say, well, is the fit right? Did we get the fit right for you? If it's not handling right, maybe there's something we can do in the fit so that it will handle better. And I think I understand the interplay between fit and handling in a way. Well, I know I understand the interplay of fit and handling in a way that I didn't 20 years ago. I didn't think that changing fit could really do that much to change how a bike handles, but you can do so much in weight distribution. You can do so much. So much. And that's so much of everything, really. I mean, weight distribution is, I mean, even when when you're talking about like women's specific bikes and our our setups, a lot of that is, is weight distribution. A lot of it is where... You know, yeah. you know where you're putting the weight on the front wheel and on the back and all that kind of like, and that that makes such a huge difference in how a bike performs and whether whether you blow a corner or you're able to like, you know, it, a lot of that is is just comes down to 
do you have the proper distribution for everything to go the way it should and break the way it should? And, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that the people, you know, the first step, you know, in this, while we're talking about this, like before you think, oh, I need a custom, like get fit, right? Like I do think that like getting the fight, that should be your first step. And then if you're still like, nah, you know, like I don't think you can necessarily go wrong. Do you think you can ever Mm -hmm. go wrong getting a custom bike? I, I mean, you know, if you're if you're of modest means and you've got a kid about to go into college and you drop 10 grand on a bike, I could see that maybe someone's significant other or someone's ex mm-hmm. <laughs> might get might get a little. Uh, but I mean, in terms of is is buying a custom bike ever a bad idea? Oh, hell no. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, back to Scott. And his, his um, I don't want to say dissatisfaction, uh, his lack of complete and total satisfaction with his custom bikes. Again, my mind goes to, well, who, who took the measurements? Who helped him with his fit on those bikes? Right. Was it just sheets he got from the builder? And, you know, he got his 14-year-old daughter to help him with the measurements? Well, that's a super or- important point. That's a super important point. Because I can I could sit here right now as we talk and, like, mm-hmm. punch my numbers into a sheet and order a quote-unquote custom bike for myself. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And all you have to do is exaggerate your height by one inch, which no guy has ever, <laughs> ever done. You know, to end up with a bike that's completely wrong. Or you're and older I'm, and you have, not, and you used to be five eleven, and now you're five ten and a quarter, right? And you don't, even, mm-hmm. you haven't even thought about it, right? The only reason I know that I'm five eleven and a quarter, bike fitting, right? Yeah, I would still think I'm six foot. Because yeah, you know, I don't, I, I don't have tailors measuring me for anything. Well, yeah, I mean, your mom's not putting you up against the wall like measuring you anymore, right? I mean, that, like people are. <laughs> No. <laughs> no. So. Although she would. <laughs> um, so, Scott, hopefully you're listening. You know, before you get too discouraged or, or, or just dissatisfied with the bikes that you've purchased, I'm going to encourage you to take them and go find a great fitter in your area. And if you don't know who the best fitter in your area is, drop us a note and I'll ask some people and I'll find you a great fitter in your area. And there's a pretty fair chance that some with some minor tweaks on your existing bikes, you can you can realize the full benefit of what those builders meant to get to you. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. That's a really good that's a good uh, next step to be even happier with your custom cuz it might make it that magical. Fits like a glove. Just unlock yeah. all the potential that's there. Finally, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I adore buying custom bikes. I love the process. I love getting to know the builder. Um, I love exploring. Well, what is my flexibility currently, and how does that affect my ability to generate power? I love all those questions. It's all still really modest results in my in, in my. Yeah, department. no, but it's yeah, it's cool though. It's I mean, I can see that that I can see once you opened up that rabbit hole it would be real easy just to slide all the way in um yeah yeah you know 24 hours from now there are going to be like eight or 15 or 26 builders lining up to build a bike for you yeah, they're gonna be like, 
check it out. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, it is very, it, it's intriguing. It is an intriguing thing, like to have your own. Yeah. I've had custom paint jobs, but that's because. That's a good start. Yeah. Um, Nobody ever buys an ugly bike. Yeah, well, uh, Tom Kellogg here with Spectrum, I, he's a oh, friend and, and a lovely man and does wonderful paint jobs. So I had a uh, a light speed Ultimate, which I thought was just kind of ugly titanium. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and he painted it uh, pretty much like uh, Mary Kay pink Cadillac pink, and I had like red hearts scattered all over it. Um, and that was my Okay, first. you got to send me a photo of I that will. so we can cl- include it in the post. Okay, we'll do. Yeah it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I have the, the frame is hanging downstairs. I've retired the bike, but the frame is amazing. Yeah. Killer. Cool. Killer. Okay. All righty. Pace line picks. What do you got? Um, I, I have not tried it yet, but I uh, spoke to you about this earlier this week. Floyd's is, keeps just churning out their CBD stuff, and we do love CBD stuff on the Pace Line. Uh, and no, we're not sponsored mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. CBD, but at this point, maybe the show should be have a title sponsor. Anyway, um, CBD Lavender Balm. I love lavender. and no, they, You're not the only one. Oh, my God. So they came out with a lavender balm. It also has lidocaine in it. So this is... This is for, yes, um, joint pain, muscle pain, um, and, like, lavender is a soothing, soothing thing. So your neck, I mean, can you imagine putting this on your neck and lulling yourself to sleep? That's all I could, I thought of you immediately when this came. Um, just Yeah. Yeah, another uh, one of the I took the products. big thing of, of the transdermal uh, cream uh, and put it in my jersey pocket this past Sunday. Yeah, I took it with me. I and was did like, you I, use I'm it? not going to mess... I, I pulled it out once and put some on. Yeah. yeah. And that stuff makes, that stuff is the most effective cream that I've ever used from anybody. I mean, and I've used stuff that technically isn't even on the market to, wow. you know, individuals like us. And it is the most effective. Uh, like I said, when I was on my tandem tour a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, uh, once an hour, I'd pull it out, put a little on my neck and it would take care of the pain for a good hour. Yeah. It's, that's awesome. I don't know what it is they're doing that's different from other CBD products I've tried. I wonder if it's the delivery. I mean, so much of the stuff is in the transdermal delivery of it, right? If it doesn't get in, it's not mm-hmm. going to do anything. And I think right. that there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. And understandably, they're keeping their cards a little close to their chest on that. As they should. I Seriously, because that's the delivery is everything. If it just sits on your yeah. skin, you're not going to feel a thing. Right. And I mean, the, the, the dead soldiers I've got of empty creams and sprays and all sorts of different things that I've tried over the years. Uh, and I just I love that the Floyd stuff is so readily uh, available uh, to people, provided you're in the right state. OK, <laughs> the, the Floyd stuff. Yeah. Well, you can buy I mean, it if you're in a, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it's available in all states. Um, this I don't know. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's worth looking into. But it's when people ask me about, you know, is there a CBD thing I should get? I just immediately direct them to Floyd's. I do too at this point. They're more think... readily available than anybody else. Yeah, and I and I just the product is, uh, um, I he, they works. source their it works, and they I, you know it's just uh, they source their ingredients from response. It's just all done. At this point, Floyd um, is on the redemption train, um, and he's not going to mess up. You know what I mean? Like he's he's made all of the mis- big mistakes. Let's see, we all make lots of mistakes <laughs> going on, but he's made all the big ones. And I think that um, 
he knows that he had a very high bar that he needed to go over for this. You know, like if he if anything was not well or, or up and up, this the whole this this enterprise would collapse immediately. Like there would be no tolerance yeah. for that. So no, this time they would come for him with pitchforks. Yeah, and- for sure. I mean, that would not be forgiven. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. yeah. I mean, another. I mean, I'm just. The la- as soon as I was like saw lavender, I was like, okay, I'm sold. Like, because I, I do, yeah. it's so relaxing. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's such an amazing scent. Uh, yeah. I have a very weak spot for that. <laughs> um, okay, so my pick this week once again is a category of product rather than a specific product. Okay. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed at the Tour de Place Roubaix was that there were an awful lot of people who, A, had no fenders at all, uh, or B, had those little butt protectors. Oh, the ass savers. That's all I actually yes. have. But that doesn't help you. It's not your face saver. It's just keeping me. Uh, you know, in my observation on this, look, the only thing that's going to keep spray out of the face of the person behind you is a true full fender. Yeah, that's true. And so... You know, I mean, anything short of that, you know, there's still going to be some spray around. But the thing that amazed me is there were any number of different brands of ass savers on bikes this past weekend, and people were still brown. Yeah, that's true, too. I was I mean, if amazed that, if it's that wet and sloppy, it's yeah, what you're just you're going to get dirty. What really did make a difference for some people, uh, and what I was using was one of those seat post mounted. Uh, oh, okay. So they're the kind, you know, they're much longer. Mm-hmm. They're, say, two feet long. You can usually adjust the angle and the distance from the tire. And so you're not limited by the tire width. Mm-hmm. There are an awful lot of really great fenders out there that will only accept to about a 33 millimeter tire. But for folks doing gravel events and, say, wet and or muddy gravel events, mm-hmm. Those seat post mounted fenders are, turns out they're way more effective than any of the other options out there. So let me ask you a quick question because um, I've had them and I've had varying degrees of success and failure with them. Did you notice, are they, and do you have, there are some that sort of ratchet into position and then sometimes they ratchet right down onto your rear tire. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like they won't stay where you position them. I've had that problem. And, it, mm. and then I just end up ripping the thing off because I'm just like, that's worse. Frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had any problem with them not staying in place. I've had, I've had an issue with like, you know, you're on a really bumpy descent mm-hmm. and the thing ends up swinging off oh, to right, the left right, or the right. right some. That's, that's not that big a deal. I've not, I've not had the experience where it ratchets down and suddenly you're hearing right, as it runs right, the tire. Right, that's what I meant. The one I'm using is by Blackburn. Mm-hmm. The I have in the past used one, used one from SKS Germany, mm-hmm. and I've had good luck with both of those. I'm a, I'm aware that there are some others out there on the market. I don't know how readily available they are. Uh, SKS Germany has really great distribution with some of the big uh, distributors like quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can I can certainly recommend those. I've got really good luck with the with the Blackburn of late. You know, it was on the bike that I used this weekend. And 
just from the standpoint of, you know, if you've got something wet or, or muddy or, you know, you just anticipate that it may be, as they say, inclement, <laughs> getting one of those fenders will make a huge difference as opposed to your standard sort of under the saddle ass saver. I, I've always thought that they were at least somewhat helpful. And I saw riders out there who were just brown from the shoulders down. It was as if they didn't have anything under the saddle at all. Huh. I was like, hmm, okay, noted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll run a photo of me at the finish. Granted, it had been raining, and some of the brown that had gotten on, on me had washed back off. But unless you look at my ankles, you won't see any brown on me. It was a pretty remarkable result. And while I was certainly wet from head to toe, I was not crunchy and mud covered. That's important. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the Pace Line. What do you got going this weekend? Um, what do we got going this weekend? We have a kickoff meeting for the Pennsylvania Perimeter Ride Against Cancer on Sunday. It's this 550-mile uh, ride every other year that we do for mm -hmm. uh, raises money for directly for like the local cancer association. And pretty much 100% of the proceeds go to the charity because we spend two years planning this thing. And we sleep uh, in churches and in gymnasiums and VFWs feed us. And yeah, it's really, it's an amazing, it's, wow. it, it reaffirms my faith in humanity uh, every time I do it. So uh, doing that and, um, and I'll get a long ride in on Saturday. And that pretty much will take the weekend. Yourself? Cool. First grasshopper of the season. Oh, wow. Wow. That's early. It's January. Yeah, well, yeah. Wow. Uh, we get going. Again. And uh, this one is this one is a brand new event. It's up in Mendocino County. It's called Low Gap. We'll start and finish in Ukiah. I'm told it's about 50% dirt. Cool. And there's a long climb that we did in a two-day Mendo hopper back last August that it is a semi never-ending climb and the resulting descent is just awesome sweet so i can't wait uh and i'm it's like 6000 feet and 42 miles wow which day is that yeah uh that's saturday and weather looks good uh weather does look good it should probably still be a little damp and muddyish so i'll have that fender on again right on <laughs> but uh and, and then i think i will spend most of Sunday in a coffin. <laughs> well, enjoy. <laughs> uh, I, you know, decidedly type two fun, but I can't wait. Right. Awesome. <laughs> Again, we've been loving these requests for segments on the show. It's really nice to know what it is you're interested in. So keep sending us ideas. Put it in the comments. Email us. Whatever you want to do, just get in touch. If you've got an idea, we want it. Before we go... I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one -on -one interviews. Think Terry Gross for the bike set. This week's show is part one of my two-part interview with photographer, writer, and filmmaker Brian Verner. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week. I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>